Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. We are in part four. This is the last week of our series called No Other Gospel. If you have not been here, I'd encourage you to go online and watch the series. The series is a walk through the book of Galatians. Uh, when you look at your Bible, it's broken into two big chunks. We call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament begins with the life and times of Jesus, and then from there moves into the, the, the acts and the teachings of his apostles. And so uh, by the time you flip over a few pages past, you know, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you get to Galatians. And Galatians is a region. It's not even a city or a town. It's an entire kind of region in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And Paul goes to all these different kind of Mediterranean cities and regions, and he sets up churches. And then once he sets up the church, he moves on. And then he goes on to the next town and the next city and sets up a church there. And then every once in a while, he would, he would write a letter. So all these what we call epistles are just letters. Paul would write a letter to these old churches just kind of reminding them of what he had taught or correcting something that had gotten out of order. And, and in the book of Galatians, he basically, what he's having to address is some very religious people had come up into Turkey. They were called Judaizers. What they were is they were people that had found Jesus but then said, but you still got to do all the Old Testament laws and customs and ceremonies. You got to do Jesus plus all this other stuff. And so they got confused. And one of the big things they harped on was circumcision. Um, funny enough, that was a part of the Jewish law was that when you became, uh, 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 you know, when you were born as a Jewish male uh, on the eighth day, they would circumcise you and every Jewish person was circumcised. So can you imagine all these Greek Mediterranean cities and regions and all of a sudden these guys come in and you're like, Hey, you found Jesus. Praise the Lord. Go get the scissors. And everybody would be like, Oh dear God, what have we gotten? What kind of cult is this? That's what I'd have been saying. And Paul's like, what in the world are y'all doing? Y'all have abandoned the gospel. That's why the series is called, There's No Other Gospel. The gospel that I gave you is the true, authentic, real deal. It's Jesus. It's the gospel of grace. And it's all about Jesus. And that's it. Anything else you try to add to that, you're messing it up. And the whole book of Galatians is written to correct this stuff. And so what we looked at is that in the first two chapters, we didn't even look at this because it's just a bunch of storytelling. It's him telling the story of where he got the gospel from and how it was confirmed by all the other apostles and how it's the real deal. But by chapter 3, what he finally does is he finally starts teaching some, some doctrine or some theology. He gets into a, a concept, if you will. And the concept is, is that there's different systems. And if you look at all the religious systems of the world, usually they're built on some type of law or rule or thing you have to do. And if you'll do these things, you'll be a good X, you know, whatever, whatever religious system you're part of. If you do these things, that God will like you. And like, he's like, that's not how God really is. This, this, this is a totally different concept. Everybody say grace. And he said, what grace is, is the fact that like, you don't have to do good or be good for God to love you. God already loves you. He loves you so much right now in all your junk and weirdness and dysfunction. He loves you right now, no matter how sinful you are. He loves you right now so much. He sent his son to die in your place so that you can be reconnected to him. Like, that's how big of a deal this is. So it's not that you're good so that God will like you. It's that God already loved you and has gone to extravagant measures to reconnect with you. And in grace is an invitation to come back into this relationship with God. It's a totally different concept. So in the first, this, this first sermon series or message of the series, we talked about this, this concept or idea of grace. 
And he goes, the reason why is not only is there grace, the reason why is because he wants to invite you into this relationship so that you can be a son instead of a slave. Everybody say son. And this was like this big idea of like, no, the whole point was not for God to give you a new set of rules. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there were 613 rules, and Jesus said, actually, it's, it's easier than that. This is not even about rules. This is about love, and this is about relationship. And if you'll just get into that, all those rules will just kind of take care of themselves. You don't focus on the rules. You focus on the, the relationship. And so he's basically not just challenging your theology. Now he's challenging your perspective on how you see yourself. He's challenging, like, how you should view your relationship with God. Because many of us look at God as like, well, I've been in trouble and I've been bad this week, so I need to go and do be good or I need to go and, and, and do these things so that God, I'll be in God's good graces again. And that's not, he goes, no, you're a son. Now, I don't know about you, but like I have a son. I have a son and two daughters. And, and they're kids, so they always do something dumb or something weird or something comes up, right? They, they're kids. And so like, just because my kid does something bad or dumb doesn't all of a sudden mean they're banished, right? And then all of a sudden when they do something good, I'm like, okay, you're back in. You're my son now. I mean, can you imagine how dysfunctional of a relationship would that be? Do you know how much therapy that would cost later in life? To be like, yeah, my son, my, my, I was banished as a son daily and then brought back in later at night before it got dark out. Like that, that would be so confusing as a child. And God's like, you're a son, this is a relationship. You don't get in and out and in and no, You're just in because I love you. And because, so, so, so he's, he's challenging these things. And then last week we challenged this, is, is that he not only challenges your theology and your perspective, now he challenges your motive. He goes, now, now that you know that you're living in grace and that you're a son instead of a slave, like I want you to go and live by the strength of my spirit in you instead of living by all the sinful nature you were born with and been living with the last X number of years of your life. Like, that's what I want you to know. Now, the reason why that was so important that I, I kind of recap that is because when you look at the idea of grace as a concept and sons as a perspective and a position in life, and now you even look at, at being spiritual and, and being led by God's spirit, that stuff kind of is, is to me something that's so important and you need to rework your heart and rework your mind, and that's a must. But eventually, you got to walk out them doors and you got to live this thing, right? you got to walk out of this door and experience that thing. So in chapter, really, 6, this final chapter, he introduces a new thing. He goes, hey, let's challenge the practical versus the theoretical. Because at some point, rubber meets the road. At some point, you got to go do something. At some point, you got to go live something out. Hey, how many know, like, it's one thing to say, well, I'm a son and I live by grace. But then you got to go make a decision on who you date. You got to go make a decision on where you work. You got to go make a moral decision. You got to go make choices. You got to make things as a parent decisions about how you're going to raise your kids. Like, how does this actually work out? And I want you to know the Bible is full of practical things because it's important that you understand practical things. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. There's a video out right now that is so funny. It's these young people, and they look to be like all kind of in their early 20s. And the, the video is kind of making fun of them, and that's not my point today to bring this up. But the video is, they're, they're like a home in like a basement, and it, it's packed out. I don't know what kind of group this was. It doesn't describe. But they're all staring like a cow looking at a new fence. And they're staring. What they're staring at is a girl trying to open a can of SpaghettiOs with like an old school can opener. And she can't do it. It takes her like a couple different minutes just to figure out how to work 
a can opener. So are, are you feeling me? Like, like, and, and then this is the crazy part. When she finally figures it out, after all this time has gone by, you know what they do? They clap. They're like, you did it. Woo! And, and really, the video is kind of making fun of millennials. And, and here's the deal. It's not really a millennial thing. It's just an age thing. If you grew up in an era where you never used a real can opener, like that's a foreign concept. But I'm just telling you, in the practical world, them people aren't going to survive the zombie apocalypse. Because you got to scavenge and open up cans, right? Y'all saw The Walking Dead. It gets real. So that's uh, not going to happen. I'm just kidding. I, I, I'll give you, like, when I was a kid, I, you know, when you're a young teenager, all you want to do is drive, right? When you're, like, coming up and you're 13 and 14 and all of a sudden you're salivating at the idea of driving and you want to drive. And I remember coming up. Now, I, when, when I came up in South Carolina, you could get your driver's license at 15. So I think it's like 16 now, but you could get it at 15. And then what you got is you got kind of like your learner's permit. You had to drive around for a couple months with your mom or your dad or whoever. And then eventually you got your restricted license, which is where you could drive during the day and then not at night. And then I think when you're 16, you're full-blown. You could go buck wild and drive any time you want it. And that's how it worked. Well, here, here's the deal. I wanted to drive really bad, and I got the idea of driving and I had this 1985 blue Chevy Blazer. Anybody rolling with me? Time frame? Area? Okay. That was my first car. 1985 Chevy. You had one. That, weren't they awesome? It was the two-door. I didn't have before. I had the two-door. And man, it was awesome. And, but here's the deal. I was never taught anything about car maintenance. Nothing. No one said anything to me ever. And then one day, a light came on. It was that little red, and she had a picture of an engine, and then it just said engine. It didn't even say check engine, it just said engine. And you know what I thought? I thought, check that out. It was like a light. I have an engine. That's awesome. I, that probably means something, but I don't know what it means. And so I just kept on driving. And then eventually, weeks go by. And like, I'm driving down the road, and smoke starts coming up out of the engine. And I'm like, oh, smoke. What? And so, and I'm, I'm just like a few miles from my dad's office. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go see dad real quick because the car's not supposed to be on fire. And so, so I go and I'm like, dad, you know what, you know, and, and what we found out is, is like, no one told me, Todd, you got to go get an oil change. I didn't even know those existed. And so I, I melted the block in the engine. If, that, if, that, if, you, if you know anything about it, I melted the block in the engine, and I destroyed the engine. I mean, it was just awful. I melted the thing. And my dad was so furious, and he was so angry. And you know what? I was like, why are you tripping? You never once taught me to go get an oil change. You never, because like here, it's one thing to drive. You have a life, right? You have a life. But how many you know, like, sometimes people don't teach you practical things in life, like some of you are like parents now, and when you had them first kids, th there was no like manual. Nobody taught you how to be a parent. You had to like figure a bunch of stuff out, and like sometimes you're like unfiguring out what your parents did to you, that kind of a thing. And so the reason why I tell you this is because usually if you go read the letters of Paul, what he does is he gets into these big ideas, these theological concepts, these heart-transforming ideas. He gets into these, these things that are so rich and so good and so deep. But you know what Paul does a really good job of? At the end of almost every letter that he writes, the last chapter is usually, and it's usually rapid fire. It's all practical. 
It's all like, all right, now go do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, go do this, go do this, and try to be like this, and try to go. And he just gets really, really practical. Because for me to say, walk in the Spirit, you're like, all right, yeah, I'm going to try that. Or to say, you're a son, you're like, okay, I'm... I want to be a son, I'm in, I, I want to be a son, or I, I want grace, or all those things. But Paul, in this final chapter, begins to work out the practical things of life. And there's a bunch of them in here, and I don't want to do like a 20-point like a, a sermon. Somebody's got to eat sometime. So we're going to work through these big five ideas. I think the five biggest or most important things that Paul says, practically speaking, here's what I want you to go do. Number one is this. Number one, everybody say, stay humble. So, like, if you have grace, stay humble about your grace. You know, if you're a son now, stay humble about that. And the reason why we know this is true is that the, on the very heels of him saying walk and be in the Spirit, which we talked about last week, the very next thing he gets into is rapid fire. And this is what he says first. He goes, in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. He goes like, okay, look, so you got grace now. And you're a son, you're in the family, and you're walking by the Spirit. So in light of that, don't become arrogant. Don't make life all about you. Because here's what we know. When life is all about you and pride's in your heart and it's you, you, you all the time, you end up either being obnoxious and provoking other people, or because it's all about you, you sit around and envy other people. He goes, don't ever make life all about you. As a matter of fact, if you want the definition of humility, it's this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. So when I say be humble, I'm not saying go out and be like, oh, I'm nothing. Oh, no, 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 I'm terrible. Oh, no, I'm a wretch. No, that's just being negative about yourself. That's not what humility is. As a matter of fact, if anything, humility is not putting yourself down, it's taking other people and elevating them. Because when you're elevating other people, what are you not thinking about? You. So it's not about ever putting yourself down. That's not the idea. Goes, so, so live humbly. Like, don't make it all about you. And, and whatever, when you think about this, what you'll realize is, is all of a sudden you have less conflict in life. You're not provoking other people. But you're also never jealous in life. Like, like here's what I want you to know. Like, there was a season of life. I've worked for like three or four different churches over my life. And, and there was one church I was working at where the pastor was the dad. And then he had a couple of kids. And one of the kids was like, you know, kind of always got his way, always made this, always got this, always got away with. You know what I'm talking about? Like when the boss and then his nephew works there and he does whatever he wants and, or the son or whatever. And I remember getting like frustrated. I remember getting irritated. I remember thinking like, man, that chump don't know nothing. That guy is lazy. That guy don't do this. That guy's this. And I, I, I remember getting frustrated. And I, I, eventually the conclusion was the only reason he even has this job is because of who his daddy is. Can I get a, can I get what, what, you ever been there? And then God spoke to me, not with an audible voice. It's just all of a sudden something jumps into your heart and jumps into your mind. There's this, there's this challenging thought. And, and, and the way God spoke to me was simply this. It was like, Todd, how do you think you got anywhere that you got in life? I'm like, oh, snap. Because that was when you would say, oh, snap. That's how back in the day this was. Because it was like, wait a minute. The only reason I even have salvation is because of who my daddy is. And the only reason I have blessing in life is because of who my dad is. And the only reason I have forgiveness in life is because of who my dad is. And the only reason I have a purpose and a plan and gifts and talents is because of who my father is, that all of my life is in essence because of who, because I'm a son now, 
Instead of a slave, everything I get in life is because of who my daddy is. And because I all of a sudden shift my perspective, now all of a sudden I don't have to be mean and provoke other people and make it about me. And I don't have to be jealous of what other people have and make it all about me. I can actually make it all about who my father is. And that keeps me humble. Number two is this, in this world of practical things. He goes, number two, I want you to be about restoring other people. Watch this verse here. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, everybody say gently. Meaning if you don't do it gently, just don't do it at all. Because you'll mess it up. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. What he begins to say is, it's like, hey, don't, don't, don't be arrogant, conceited, be, stay humble. And then be, make your life be about restoring other people. Now, now, the word restoration that they use is a little bit different. Because when we think about restoration, and I think the ideas go across the board. The idea of restoration for us is, is we take something old and we make it like new again. And I don't you know God's in the restoration business. He takes your old, he makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. He's in the restoration business. It's even deeper than that, though, because the word that Paul uses there is a medical term where they would reset a broken bone. So he's like, be about restoring other people. Whenever you find brothers and sisters in Christ, when you find Christians who have fallen, who have made mistakes, who have messed up in a sin, I want you to realize that like, it, it, it's like they've broken themselves off and they're broken and they're hurting. And I want you to like, I want you to reset the bone. I want you to bring them back in. I want you to love them back in. I want you to encourage them back in. I want you to always be about restoring other people. And then he says this. He goes, and carry each other's burdens. This is something that we talked about before in the past too, that literally the word burden here means like boulder. It's like something that people can't carry on their own. Anytime you see people in life, and, and devastation hits, and sickness hits, or divorce hits, and these things come out of nowhere, or just tragedy hits their life, and you know like, man, I would never want to go through that. I'd never want to go through that alone. Then you know what it is that you need to do? Is make sure that they don't go through that alone. That we carry each other's burdens in life, and in this way, meaning doing this, you will do what? You will fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ was? The law of Christ, he mentions kind of in the previous chapter, because he goes, all the law is built on this. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor. There it is. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's the law of Christ. He said the all, all law that God ever wanted to impose was to get you back to this idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a couple ways you can look at this. One is, I want to love my neighbor the same way I love myself. So if I wouldn't do that to me, I'm not to do that to somebody else. And, and if I would like for other people to do this for me, then I should do it for other people. Like, I want to love my neighbor as yourself. The other way, the, the, the way that I remember like a Hebrew scholar unworking this was, is when you really look at the language, what it's like is this. I want you to love your neighbor who is just like yourself. Because you know what we do now when we do that? We begin to love people mercifully. We're like, man, I need to love them because they're broken just like I'm broken. And they have issues just like I have issues. And nobody in this place is perfect. We all make mistakes and we all fall and we all make a mess of stuff. And we always say it wrong or we didn't do it just right. And in those moments, I want to be merciful and recognize I need to love them because they're broken just like 
I'm broken. This is the law of Christ. And we talked about this, that, that literally the way you treat other people, this law of Christ, the way that you treat other people is really the truest reflection of spiritual maturity. It is not how many Bible verses you can quote, although I want you to quote as many as you can. It's not how great your church attendance is, and I want you to be here every single week. It's how you treat other people. Because if you can quote dozens and dozens of verses, and you're here every week, but you go out of here and you treat people like garbage, you've missed the point. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say amen to that. Number three is this. He, he says, I think it's practically. So here's what I want you to do in light of this whole thing of grace and sonship and walking by the Spirit. Stay humble. Like restore other people. This is the other one. So to your spirit. So into spiritual things. Let, let me read it for you. The Bible says, do not be deceived because God is not mocked. Here's what that means. It's, it's not that you can't go out and, and try to mock God, although that would be foolishness. It's the idea that you can't take advantage of grace. Because grace was free, you can't take advantage of it. And here's why you can't take advantage of it. It's because a man sows what he reaps. So even if God gives you love and kindness, even if he gives you grace and mercy, if you go out of here and keep doing bad things, you're going to reap negative consequences. So even though God loves you, put it this way, I have a son, and even if I love him, if he goes out and does a bunch of dumb things, he's going to end up in jail, no matter how much I love him. Are you, are you hearing me? So the love of God does not protect you from the consequences of bad decision making. So if you ever thought, well, I'm a Christian now. Bad things aren't supposed to happen to me. Where, what Bible verse did you get that from? That, that's, so he's saying, he goes, don't, don't, and don't get it twisted. God's not mocked for whatever a man sows that he also reaps. There's this thing in the Bible called sowing and reaping. Now, let me just back this up. There's a thing in the earth <laughs> called sowing and reaping. It's been around. I don't know if y'all know this or not. It's been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, it says, actually it's Genesis 6, it says as long as the sun comes up and the sun goes down, there will always be sowing and reaping, right? And it's, a spirit, it's not just an earthly concept. My, my grandfather was a, was a rancher and a farmer, and we had crops and fields and all this stuff, and we, we just kind of learned when you sow seed, the seed that you sowed comes back up out of the ground. Grandpa never sowed corn, and then apple trees came out. Some of us in life want apples. We keep getting corn. And we're confused. It's because whatever you sow, that which you reap. So let's, back, let's reverse engineer this. Look at the outcomes of your life and see them as a harvest. Do you like what you're getting? Do you like what you're reaping? Because if you don't, then you need to reverse engineer and back up and say, then what am I sowing? And start sowing different things because he backs it up. He goes, whoever sows to the flesh or sows to flee, please the flesh. We talked about flesh last week as your sinful desires. Whenever you sow into that stuff from the flesh, you reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Like so, so you just need to know like sow to your spirit. This is the idea like practically speaking, sow to your spirit. And, and what I love is this. He doesn't then give you a list of things to go do. Because if we, if we had a list of things to go do, we would get religious about it and say, oh, you didn't do your list today. Well, I did my list twice today. And we'd be all weird about our list. So he doesn't tell you how to do it. But like, let me give you some ideas. 
Like these are just some of my ideas on how like I want you to sow into your spiritual life. Like soak in the scripture. Like there is a Bible that is God breathed on and it is inspiring and it is the divine kind of wisdom and understanding. And it's the, the story of how people were knowing and relating to God. And there's so much truth and there's so much wisdom and there's so much in there that God would love to use to speak to you. And some of you have never felt like God spoke to you just because we, we don't soak in the scripture. I'm telling you, get a Bible, start to read, get a study Bible that can help you understand stuff. Start with a, don't get a King James version of the Bible. Get something you can understand. Start somewhere and let that thing that God breathed on start soaking into you. Like have a conversation with God. Like talk to God. Have prayer with God. Put your headphones on so people don't think you're talking to yourself. But talk with God. Go for a walk and talk to God. When you're in the shower, talk to God. When you're driving, talk to God. Start serving others. Like, I'm telling you, there's something powerful to, like, just serving other people. There's something gratifying and satisfying about serving other people. Read a book. Like, man, like, go onto Amazon and go get a great Christian book that, that's, like, going to teach you and help you and inspire you. Listen to sermons. Like, like, this is, like, huge. Worship in your car. Like, some of you, how many of you commute at least, like, an hour? Yeah, yeah, Like, you know what? So do you. You got an hour of time that it is easy to hate people. There are certain groups of people that you know can't drive and every day confirms it. So like, so do your spirit. You ain't got nothing else better to do. Listen to a sermon series. Worship in your car. Some of y'all whipping and nay-naying. And you're wasting your time when you have an opportunity to be like sowing to your spirit. Get into a small group. Like get around a bunch of other people where you just sit around and pray for one another and you find out and you do life and you're listening to a, a Bible study series or something like that. And, and again, this isn't like a comprehensive list. I'm just like throwing out some random ideas. But like anything that sows to your spirit, let me put it like this, anything that helps you deeper connect to God, do those things. And anytime you keep sowing into your craziness, you sowing into your sinful desires, just know that you're going to end up reaping a harvest that you probably don't want in life. And he goes, you can't abuse grace that way. Grace is there because God loves you and freely gave it to you. But you can't go out and then go do everything in contradiction to what the ways of God are and then wonder why your life turns out a bit of a mess. Sow to your spirit. Do take some spiritual steps. Everybody say, all right. Number four. This is an interesting one. He goes, look for the divine opportunities. Listen to this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Look at this, this whole sowing and reaping thing. So not only is it spiritual things, he goes, things that you do for other people. Because watch this. Let us not become weary in doing good. This is so important because some of you, you do good and then it wears off. You go commit to something and then it wears off. And I want you to know that there is a temptation to get weary even doing good things. I promise you. So never think, man, I was serving and I just, man, it just wore me out. He goes, don't, don't stop. Stay in it. You will, this is, the, this is the thing that you need to adopt in your mind. I will get weary of even good things. But that doesn't mean I should quit doing good things. I'll, I'll prove it to you. How many of you this last Thursday had some good food? Oh my gosh. We had the best food. And I kept eating. Does anybody like have to undo the button? Or do you just wear sweatpants? You ladies wear yoga pants, and a lot of y'all don't yoga. I know that. But they're stretchy. You can eat whatever you want. Maybe you have a food baby, and it doesn't matter. 
Did any of you get to a point where even though the food was good, you couldn't do it anymore? I got weary. I had to go, like, this is no lie. After dinner, everybody's conversating. I went into the other room and laid down on the couch. I needed a nap. Y'all remember that, I needed a nap because I was weary from eating good food. Now, some of y'all think I was just gluttonous and you're judging me. Stop it. We live in grace. But my point is, is like, you can get weary doing good things. And he's like, that's okay. Go ahead and adopt that, accept that. You know, go ahead and pony up and say, I'm going to get over myself. If it gets a little difficult, I'm going to keep doing it. Because we all get weird, weary doing hard things. He goes, you're going to get weary even doing good things. That's okay. Keep doing it anyway. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because you will reap a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Everybody say all people. Especially even those who belong to the family of believers. So in the first one, when he talks about restoring other people, he's not talking about people who, who don't have faith. He's like, that'd be weird to like reconnect them to the body of Christ when they're not a part of the body. So that's not what that's for. That, that's for like believers who are struggling in life. He goes, but this is for all people. Whenever you have opportunity, do good. Always look for the opportunity to do good. Here's the way I would word it. Never stop doing strategically good things in the area of influence God has given you. So the question is this. If every one of you has opportunity and every one of you has a sphere of influence, what are you doing with it? Like, here's what I want you to think about. Everybody has a sphere of influence. And here's the three questions that you need to ask yourself. Number one is this. Who is your people? Because y'all got some people. There are some of you who have friends that would never hang out with me. But they love you. There are some people that as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, they get weird about it. I mean, so like, there's just some people that you, so who's your people? You got some people. Some of y'all have family and that's your people. Some of you have like cliques and clubs and groups and backgrounds and who you went to school with or what, and them, them are your people. Like when you think about God's given you an area of influence and he wants you to find ways to strategically do good, kingdom purposes, who's your people? Not only who's your people, maybe this is the question. Where's your place? Like you got a place. Some of y'all have like your favorite place to eat and the favorite coffee shop. And you have places that you go regularly. Sometimes your place is your school, young people. Sometimes your place is your job and where you work. And you know that your job is your mission field and you got a place. And every day at work, you got a place where you are forced to work with and being in. Hey, sometimes your airplane is your place. They can't escape you, Right? There's nowhere to go. And so you, you got to figure out what your, not only who's your place, here's the third one, where's your passion? Like, like, like for some of you, you got a thing and you're a part of a knitting club. There's probably nobody in here, but it's just an example. You might be in a knitting club, a hiking club. I'm in a golfing thing. I, I, I'm like, you, you've got a passion. And I'm telling you, God wants to use your people. God wants to use your places. And definitely God wants to use your passions, things that you just like to do. And other people think what you do is strange. You're like, why does he like to do that? I don't know. It's your passion. And other people find that passion exciting too. And all of a sudden, now you have an area of influence. And God is saying, every time you have an opportunity in your place with your people, in your passions, however that looks for you. Some of it's football. Some of it's, it doesn't matter. You find your passion and go find ways to do strategically good and kingdom things. That's what I want you to do. Why? Because you've been given grace. So go give that grace to somebody else. You've been given kindness and favor. Go give that to somebody else. 
Don't let it stop with you. Let it travel through you. Last one is this, and we'll kind of close here. Number five is this, and this is so huge. He says this. He says, brag about or boast in the cross. So uh, this is so huge that you do this. And, And here's, let me read the scripture so you understand why. He goes, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision, he goes back to this whole like challenging this thing, like circumcision, uncircumcision, that don't mean nothing. What counts is the new creation. That's some powerful words. And again, he, he closes strong right here. As a matter of fact, two verses before this, he does like an all caps thing. I didn't know this, by the way. There was one time where I was emailing somebody, and this is prior to my understanding of like text message protocol. And I've told you this. What I've realized now is that if you put a smiley face on anything, you cannot get mad at it. But before I understand these deep texting concepts, there was a person who had emailed me, and it wasn't the happiest or most pleasant email. And then in all caps, and I don't know why it was in all caps, I just wrote, thanks. That did not go over good. They were offended because I think they thought I yelled at them. Because apparently caps is like yelling. It's like, thanks. I don't, I, it wasn't what I meant. It wasn't in my heart. All caps was not in my heart. I'm not lying. The Apostle Paul actually does something in all caps. Depending on what translation of the Bible, if you look at your Bible, this, this part could be in all. And he's like, pay attention to this. Look at this. I'm going to write this. Because he would, usually he would talk and have somebody else write it down for him. He goes, I'm going to write this part with my own hands. And he does it in all caps. And then right after that, this is what he says. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He goes, I want you to know. Because here, here's what you need to know. The cross is the centerpiece of Christianity. It's the cross. It's the reason why we can have grace. Because see, ultimately, because we are sinners, we owe. We have to pay back the sin that we've committed. But then Jesus steps in. And he goes, you know what? You have a debt that you could never repay. But I'll pay the debt that I don't even owe. I'll give my life on a bloody, gruesome cross so that you don't have to die. I'll die for you so that you can have life. And because of the cross, now you can be reconnected with your heavenly father and you can be a son, you can be a daughter, you can be a child of God. And because of this, now God's spirit can come and live in you and you can live by the spirit of God within you instead of your evil, sinful, fleshly desires. Do you know what all triggers that? The cross. And he goes, I'll, but may I never boast in anything else. And I'll tell you why this is so important. Have you ever noticed on Facebook that you have different camps of people that love boasting about things? Like new moms, look, I love you. And when you have that first kid, you post daily pictures of what you believe are to be unique faces of your child. Sometimes it's by the hour. Sometimes they're like morning, afternoon. You're smiling a little bit. You, look, You're so excited about that baby, and that's awesome. But what we all know is they're going to grow up to be teenagers one day, and you'll stop posting by then. Okay, I I take that back. You love your kid, and so what do you do? You boast in your kid. Other people, y'all are foodies out there. And when y'all go to a restaurant, y'all think the whole world wants to see what you're about to put in your mouth. 
You're voting. So what are you? You're boasting about like other. But like I have, I have buddies of mine. Like guys, I used to live in Michigan and South Carolina who are hunters, and I see dead carcasses. They're like, "Hey, dude, look at this! I got my eight-point buck right here." What are they doing? They're just excited about and boasting about. That's what they're doing. They're bragging about the thing that they're into. And I'm not saying I don't want you to ever post on Facebook. I don't want you to like misunderstand Paul's meaning. He's not saying never post a picture of your kid on Facebook. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is in your heart, always let the cross not just be the center point of Christianity. Let the cross be the center point of your life. Make sure that the central point of your life revolves around the cross. Because without the cross, we don't have grace. We don't need to become sons and daughters. And we miss out living by the Spirit of God. Everything goes back to the cross. And here's why this is important. The heart of your religion is what you boast in. And every religion around the world, this is why like, you'll find like, well, I, I went to this place and I journeyed here and I prayed this many times a day and I did all these things. And it's like, you know what you're boasting in? Your work's based system whereby because you were good enough you got right with God you know what we boast in I've never once got up and boasted about how many times I fasted how many times I prayed how many Bible verses I memorized how many good deeds I did why because none of that matters at the end of the day without the cross it's the cross of Christ that is, is everything, and that's the heart of my religion. The heart of everything that I believe is at the cross. And so that's what I boast in, because without that, nothing else matters. The cross, if you're taking notes, forgives my past. The cross gives me strength for today, and the cross secures my eternity. This is what we boast in. It's this, not about us. There's certainly nothing I could have done to earn God's love. It was given freely to me just because that's who he is, not because of how good I am. It's the cross. It's because of Jesus that we have any of this. Everybody, I want you to do this real quick here. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're in here today, and this is somewhat new, if you're in here today and you're like, man, I didn't know this. this I, I, I'd always known church is a religious thing and Christianity is a religious thing. And I, I didn't really know any of this stuff. Here's what I want you to know is that the cross is the ultimate invitation to come and reconnect to God. That you owe a debt of sin. You'll never be able to fully pay down no matter how good you are. But Jesus paid the debt for you on the cross. And that cross forgives you of your past it gives you strength for today. It secures your eternity. And I want you to know that the cross is your invitation to come and reconnect to God. And if you're here today and you say, I know that I need that. I want to be forgiven. I want God in my life. I want God to restore me and to redeem me, to strengthen me and help me. I want his grace. If you're in here today and you say, today's my day. I want to turn. I want to ask God to help me. I want God in my life. I want to turn towards the cross. Today's your day. As a matter of fact, on the count of three, I want you to even raise your hand. Every eye Close, head bowed. It's just between me and you. But if you say, Todd, today, I want to turn towards Jesus. On the count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three. And lift your hand up in the air. Yeah. Awesome. Incredible. So here's, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray a prayer. And we're going to pray this thing out loud. I want you to pray it so loud you can hear it with your own ears. And so it's not weird. We're all going to just do it together. So you could be in this place and you didn't even believe anything I said. And um, you just hang tight. But everybody else. I want you to pray this prayer out loud so you can hear it with your own ears, us all together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I need you. I thank you 
for the cross, that I'm forgiven, that I'm with you, that I have grace. God, help me to know you and to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, and we all said amen. amen. Can we give a little big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.